Hey guys, welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. I'm Eleni. I'm Jeffrey. And today we're going to be discussing Season 3, Episode 17, the title, which is Jeffrey? A Tale of Pose and Fires. Perfect. Jeffrey's getting better at naming the titles. Which I knew off the top of my head. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Congratulations. Round of applause for Jeffrey. <laughs> um, before we get into that, I feel like we always start our episodes like that. But before we get into the talking about the episode and our analysis, we wanted to let you know that in case you missed it, we had a special bonus episode that came out on Wednesday. Um, it was our interview with reporter from Insider, Samantha Grindel. She was amazing. We talked about her article that she wrote uh, about Gilmore Girls that equates sex to goodness and morality. Um, we had such a good time with her. We want to have her back very soon. <laughs> very soon. She was really great. We touched on a lot of things, not just the article, but your comments uh, on the article. We talked about father figures and Gilmore Girls. We talked about all the women's lives, Lane's storyline. Uh, we asked her some of the questions that you guys have asked us. Um, she's seen the show a lot, so she knows a lot. And it was really, really great. Honestly, as she was talking, I was I was just so like enamored with her speaking voice and how she was articulating herself. I'm like, I could just listen to a podcast of just her speaking. I'm like, screw screw our podcast. Just like give her our platform. Just let her speak about Gilmore Girls forever and ever. So you know what? I was thinking the same thing. Um, you know, it takes us sometimes to it, it takes us. See, I can't speak. It takes us a little bit before we get into the groove with these episodes sometimes. And I think sometimes people think we don't prepare, but we really do. We just, we have a hard time speaking. Um, <laughs> we, she, and our brains go so fast that we're like, we, we, we pick up on so much that we just lose ourselves and we just end up yelling at each other. I think that's what it is. There's too many emotions. Um, we have a long history, so I like to tell you off. You like to tell me off. I don't know. Uh, we were it, also turns out, it turns out that, that our arguing like that resonates with people, which is what floors me every time when someone that's tells us that are bickering just to make them feel better when they feel sad or something like. Yeah. I, I never thought that that would be the case, but I'm really happy that you guys, uh, um, you guys enjoy that. And we were saying right after we recorded that, um, you know, sometimes with a new guest, somebody you've never met before with a podcast, it takes like, there's a learning curve of how you should speak and uh, what you should say. And she picked it up right away. She was, so amazing it flowed really well and i think it was one of our best episodes yet it was please go listen please go listen and check out samantha on insider we're gonna post well we did already post but we're gonna post again all her credentials her twitter her instagram and her author profile on insider she writes these really great pieces about people living in tiny spaces and tiny homes which i'm obsessed with um I was talking to my brother recently and i was saying you know because my apartment in toronto is so freaking small um, I was talking to him and I was like, you know, when you're a kid and you want like the big house and you want a lot of space, it's amazing how priorities change when you get older because now I don't give a shit. I just want room for my books. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> and considering I, your small apartment is very expensive. So that's true too. But I mean, I just want enough space to live. I live in one room, right? I just want enough space to have my books. I'm comfortable. I'm great. And so that's why I think I've always been fascinated by tiny spaces. And um, we were talking about how we went down like the rabbit hole with her pieces. Yes. <laughs> so I read all her tiny space, tiny home articles. And I think they're so cute. Um, the spaces and her writing is excellent. So please go check that out. We're going to post her stuff again. 
And uh, thank you again, Samantha. And while we're on the topic of uh, social media and posting, I do want to take a minute to address some particularly uh, triggering comments that we've received in the last week, just in regards to, um, I guess, some touchy subjects on social media, which I understand why they're touchy subjects, but in my opinion, I don't think they have to be. So the problem is, um, they're touchy, but they're not, in my opinion, controversial. Exactly. I wouldn't say, like, they shouldn't be controversial. Like, touchy, yes, but not not controversial, in my opinion. And when I say touchy, I mean, like, sometimes there's a little bit of apprehension surrounding having these conversations in certain spaces. Yeah. But, yeah, the sentiment that we were trying to get across with some of our posts, um, those to me are not controversial opinions that we were talking about. And I'm going to say for like 97% of our audience, they they appreciated and thought they were thought these posts in particular were hilarious and shared them and they got a lot of traction. Yeah. Um, but there were a few comments in particular on the two that I'm talking about. So I'm talking about actually, it seems, it seems very apropos we're talking about social media and political correctness because both of the posts were of TikTok videos. Mm-hmm. And the first one that I posted was a a hilarious TikTok that I swear I watched, like, for three days straight last week and couldn't stop laughing, was this uh, TikTok that a girl made about J.K. Rowling and her extremely polarizing new book, in which um, a man dresses up as a woman to invade women's spaces and murders them. Yeah. Which seems quite, you know iffy shall we say right after she's made all of these ridiculous comments about trans people and by the way clearly clearly it's an allegory for how she thinks trans people work which is exactly what the tiktoker says by the way the tiktok we're referring to is by cecilia is gray so you can go um see that on our page so first of all brilliant freaking tiktok it's hilarious like i'm not kidding i watched it for three days straight it's so fucking funny in its simplicity because you're just I think it captures how frustrated we all are with her yeah. and how she just refuses to go away and keeps digging the hole deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. And speaking of uh, JK Rowling, she posted today a picture of herself in a shirt. I just saw it um, before. Cause you know, when, when something's trending on TikTok, on TikTok, on um, Twitter, you can't help but, Especially when it's Joanne Rowling. You're like, oh, fuck, what did she do again, right? The love of God, Joanne. Get your shit together. Yeah, so she posted her a picture of herself in a t-shirt that says, um, I can't remember. Hold on, I'm, tr- I'm going to try and find it. But anyways, the sentiment was like, she, you can't burn this witch or something like that. Oh and she posted, yeah, so she posted, the. Uh, sorry, this witch doesn't burn. And she well, wrote- she should, because she is a witch and go away. Okay, well, (laughs) she wrote, sometimes a t-shirt just speaks to you. And then she posted the shop that she got it from. So from, um, I'm not going to say the shop because fuck this shop as well, in case you know a witch who'd like one. And then people started doing some digging um, on the shop, uh, on the shop's website, I should say. And they found a bunch of uh, products that are super homophobic and transphobic. Great. Um... These stick a sticker pack that comes with five stickers that says trans ideology erases women, trans activism is misogyny. Are you female, for real? 
Female biology is not an identity. Cotton ceiling is rape. And lesbians don't have penises. Oh, my God. And then uh, there's a button. Another person found a button that they're selling with a trans flag on it that says, sorry about your dick, bro. So as you said, fuck that shop. Yeah, and trans men are my sisters. There's a bunch of really, really disgusting stuff on this shop. Um, There's a mug that's written, uh, that, that has a really pretty writing that says notorious transphobe because mm. because we'd love to celebrate that we're transphobes of course um repeat after us war is peace freedom is slavery ignorance is strength trans women are women at least there's that but i don't know what the rest of that shit are and trans women are men is the other one mm, great well, all I can think of in this moment is the lyrics to Taylor Swift's You Need to Calm Down when she says, making that sign must have taken all night, like, for real. Yeah, like, yeah. This, this is what you spend your time doing? So, it's one thing to for her to post the t-shirt and say, like, because she likes to play the victim nowadays. Uh. Um, but it's another thing for her to post the website that, like, she knows people are going to go digging. Come on. So, at this point, I'm fucking over it. I'm... We talked last week about cancel culture versus consequence culture. The consequence right now is that I'm very disgusted and fuck her. <laughs> like, you know, um, I don't, I, I don't understand why she's really willing to die on this. I like, honestly, it's one of those things where I can't look at it for too long. Otherwise I, I just lose my mind, which is mo, which is like most things regarding our world right now. So yeah, but I, mean, I guess that's not specific. It's one thing to have a difference of opinion. This is just you're being hateful and you're being um, and, and and these words have consequences. It's dangerous. And the sad thing is that she hides behind her her name and her money in this case. Yeah, for sure. You know, and plays the um, victim and says that we, we don't understand what she's saying. And before like before she started spewing all of this hatred um, and hate speech in general, I actually didn't, I actually wasn't aware of the term trans exclusionary radical feminist or TERF. Yeah. But since learning what that is and then comparing that definition to what she's been saying, like she is a textbook definition of a TERF and it's actually disgusting. Yeah, well, we've said before that like if your feminism doesn't include um, women of color and trans women and all these different intersectionalities, like you're not inclusive at all. No. Uh, feminism was not made just for white women, guys. <laughs> you know, like on the totem Contra- pole. Contrary to what Betty Friedan once said. Exactly. But yes. but like on the totem pole of um, discrimination, white women, you're you're not like special. <laughs> there's other people. Yes, okay. There's a layer to it because of your gen- your your sex, your gender, whatever it is you want to call it. But I mean, you 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 have no idea the privilege that you hold um and joanne really needs to check her fucking privilege and honestly karen just pack up your things and go except for karen our number one fan we love her yes karen's great um so yeah that's what we had to say about that but uh you wanted to read some of the comments right yeah so all of that to say (laughs) in conclusion but also yeah um so we posted, we, actually I posted two TikToks regarding J.K. Rowling and her nonsense. One was the first one that we mentioned. And then there was another one that I'd actually shared on our story months ago when she was 
first beginning her tour of hatred. Yeah. And that was one that I've shown, actually I showed to Lori when the three of us met up on Labor Day weekend a while ago. And we laughed. And we laughed because it's so like, I'm, I don't remember the, I don't remember the name of the person who made it, but um, it's just so funny. It's this, like, it's, she's made, she's made herself up to look like J.K. Rowling with her blonde hair and her like pale ass skin. And she's like, well, I don't know when it became transphobic to say that trans women aren't women. I don't understand them. And therefore no one should. And, and it's just hilarious, and I will post it forever and ever because I can't get enough. Yeah, but what's our favorite line from that TikTok, Jeffrey? So at the end, um, she says something to the effect of, don't you see, everything is coming to the end of the cultural conversation if no one's buying my books. The accent was so good when she did it. It's so hilarious. I will oh, never stop sharing it, especially if Joanne continues this ridiculousness. Yeah, but I really hope she doesn't. Like, go away. You've made your money. You've done what you had to do. Leave me the fuck alone. It and it's really weird how she's going around policing people's gender identity when she herself poses as a man to sell more books. That's, that's a, I th- is that a tweet we shared? Because I feel like that's a tweet I shared. And, yes, it was it was shared by many people and, like, in different tweets. It's just it's, it's so true. Like, hypocrite. For real, though. Anyways, whatever. So um, we got comments about that and the other TikTok we posted. So the other TikTok we posted um, was a girl saying if Gilmore Girls was set in 2020. And um, she was talking about how the different characters would respond to, one, the coronavirus pandemic, and two, Black Lives Matter. Because if you've been living under a rock is the only excuse for why you don't know that those are the two issues of 2020. And I think it was more in regard in regard to what their roles would be in like Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's fine. But I mean, we got um, so number one, it was really, really popular. Um, I think it got over like 8000 likes the first part. Um, and then you posted a part two that the, the, the part person... Two because everyone was like, what about Lorelai and Luke? And Lorelai and Luke was um, in part two. So a lot of people were talking about, well, this has not... Uh, well, so on the Joanne one, everyone was like, well, this has nothing to do with Gilmore Girls. Why are you posting it? So I should... We should clarify it for, again, like 97% of our audience enjoyed it, laughed, thought it was hilarious, shared it exactly. themselves. There were just what and like uh, it's just annoying how one bad comment sticks out like a thumb, and well, yeah. So on the J.K. Rowling po- um, post, there was one comment that just said, "This isn't related to Gilmore Girls at all," with a rolling eyes emoji, and 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 like it's we and it's obvious that you have an issue with us calling out J.K. Rowling's transphobia because you don't comment on any other of our posts saying that this this isn't related to Gilmore Girls because apparently our username is Gilmore Girls Podcast and we constantly have to only post Gilmore Girls because we don't. Yeah, that person doesn't even follow us, I just wanted to say. Of course they don't. That means, I don't know, like, what, you sought us out to write that about us? Like, I don't know. And I think, I don't know why, but I think some, some of our posts appear on people's Discover Explore pages on Instagram. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's how our more popular posts get found. But in any event, like, you, you I'm sorry, but you are obviously transphobic or have transphobic ideals if you are coming onto our page calling out J.K. Rowling's transphobia and saying, um, this isn't related to Gilmore Girls, like, stay in your lane. Yeah. 
whatever, fine. Um, and then on the, the, the other TikTok with Black Lives Matter, we got a couple different comments of people saying, um, why is it always about black, why does it have to be about Black Lives Matter in 2020? And like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, there was a few comments like that on that one. And the one that I replied to um, was something to the effect of, why is everything about Black Lives Matter or, or am I just whining? Yeah. And then, you know what's funny? We both didn't, we both saw the comments at the same time. Yeah. And we both replied to it and I had to delete mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like we got, why do all their lives suddenly start revolving about BL, uh, revolving around BLM though? No offense. I do take offense because fuck off. Um, why, why is everyone talking about Black Lives Matter? Whatever. It's just like, mm, I'm not happy. <laughs> no, and I think the the comment in particular that I'm talking about on the on the Black Lives Matter TikTok, I think her point was, why are we forcing Black Lives Matter into Gilmore Girls, this like supposedly idyllic, uh, innocent television show from 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. And um, okay, first of all, we didn't make the video. Yeah. Second. Uh, you are whining because you clearly take issue with the fact that Black Lives Matter affects every single sphere on planet Earth. Um, so that's not really our issue. That's yours. And I'm not going to educate you. That's, again, on you, which you clearly won't do. But the but the biggest issue I had with all of these comments was not so much that people were showing their, you know, racist and transphobic true colors because... I think on the internet, we've come to more or less expect that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I think the issue more or less that I, ha- that I have is people saying like, oh, this isn't really the Gilmore Girls. Like, why are you posting this? Like, basically just telling us to fuck off and stay in our lane. And, when I- and honestly, anytime I see that on social media, not just on our own page, but on other people's pages with celebrities, with, pe- with anyone with a following, it just bothers me because it always, it always reminds me of what happened to the Dixie Chicks in the early 2000s. Like the whole theme of that whole charade was people told them to shut up and sing because they got political or said something that people didn't like. And because they were singers and public figures and not politicians, apparently, people got just very upset and they got death threats for years, probably still getting death threats. Yeah. And just, it's very, like, it's just, it's really, really sad that people have to say, like, stay in your lane, don't speak out on things that are important and that are plaguing us currently. Like, yeah, we if, got- we can, if we can use our platform to educate and spread awareness of these very crucial issues, uh, you best believe we're going to do that. And if you don't like it, don't follow us or we'll block you. We'll make it easy. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I told Jeffrey, um, when uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died last week, I um, I posted a tweet saying, like, how appalling is it that this woman had to work through cancer to, um, to make sure that the country didn't plummet into the fire pits of hell? Like, you know what so I mean? So she was 87 years old. 87 years old, battling pancreatic cancer. You know what I mean? Like, that's appalling to me that one person had to do that. Um, and we got a bunch of um, t- replies about how, uh, well, she should have retired. Here's, whatever. Some of them were fine, and it's a matter of opinion. Other ones were really, really um, 
misogynistic and very disgusting. I was like, there's no better feeling to me than blocking a fucker on Twitter who has one follower. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> go away. We and blocked several to- people who had Trump 2020 in their bios, just saying. Just saying, because I don't have time for your shit. Because if you're still supporting Donald Trump, fuck off. Um, and I just want to, like, one last thing to say about this is that we also get a lot of hate. Well, not hate, but I've gotten a lot of comments recently about how, um, why do you care you're Canadian? Um, like, yesterday we posted, please register to vote, and we shared Kiko Ajena's post about how she and Adam Brody are doing a campaign to write letters to voters, and um, I posted my voting guide a couple of weeks ago. Like, we've gotten a lot of letters, a lot of letters, a lot of comments about, like, what do you care? What are you doing this for? Like, whatever. So, number one, I can do whatever I want with my social media. Thank you. And if I choose to advocate for something that is near and dear to me, even though I'm Canadian, like, that's my business. (laughs) Yeah. And so however I choose to use my platform, um, that's my business also. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And people have to start realizing that you don't have to like it. Um, and you'd be much happier if you didn't go out of your way and sought it out. You know what I mean? Anyway. But it's it's like proving to us what like it's proving to us that the issue is on you like you're trying to make it our issue by being like what do you care you shouldn't care this is not your problem or like this this is not on brand for you whatever the hell that means this is not Gilmore Girls related like they're, they're trying to make it seem like it's our fault for posting it when you're the one who has the issue with this so this is ultimately your problem yeah for sure anyways enough about that it's annoying um let's jump into the episode shall we Yes, because we don't want to end up like the Dixie Chicks. But even if we did, you know, oh, come, come at me. me. I don't care. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> okay. So the episode opens on a scene in the diner and Lorelai and Rory are making pro-con lists for um, Yale, Princeton, and Harvard. Mm-hmm. And my question is, if you were so dead set on Harvard from the beginning, why the lists? <laughs> Didn't you research beforehand? I think that's clear. That That's what makes it clear that she was not really ever dead set on Harvard because she could be swayed so easily. So that's the thing. Number one, it was for me, it was weird because, you know, you would think Rory's always so prepared. She would have done all her research before. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it always comes back to why we've talked about this before. Why did Rory originally settle on Harvard? You know, mm-hmm. there's always this story in the in the show of how ever since she could remember, it's been Harvard. But why? <laughs> you know, they never really make that clear. And it becomes abundantly clear that we don't, you know, her reasoning is not sound mm-hmm. in this episode when she starts making all her lists. Yeah, for sure. And I would also add to that... Um, like, as a, I'm going to say, as a teenager, even, like, the fact that Rory had decided on Harvard when she was, what, they said four? Yeah, whatever like, it was, yeah. Well, Lorelai apparently bought her her, her first Harvard sweater. Okay. When she was well, young. In any event, um, you shouldn't be deciding on which college you're going to for sure at that age, or even as a teenager, like... Obviously, it's it's fine to have a goal and it's fine to have a dream of like, I want to go to Harvard 
but then when the time came and it does come and she doesn't end up going to Harvard as we know, spoilies. Um, the like just but the fact of the matter is you are like Rory kind of teetered between goal and like dead set on doing Harvard, and I think she herself maybe she, I don't think she herself was ever married truly to Harvard because yeah. as soon as someone else mentioned, ooh, what about Yale or ooh, what about this? She's like, mm, I don't know. And like, that's that's the reasonable answer. That's the right answer when you're that age and just and just like figuring out what you want to do and where you want to go to school. Yeah, so for me, it's different. It's different than Paris's obsession with Harvard because we learned that Paris, um, how many, six or, no, 10 generations of Gellers have gone to Harvard, you know? So yeah. she has like a familial... Um, not a, I don't want to say obligation, but she has a connection there in that sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's becoming really clear in this episode, uh, well, subtly, but to me it was becoming increasingly clear that the Harvard thing was always just to spite the Gilmores. <laughs> On Lorelai's part, I On think. On Lorelai's part. Yeah, but you know, her she gets her obsession from her mother because her mother bought her the sweater when she was four and she was swimming in it, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, it's becoming just abundantly clear to me, if it wasn't before, that this was all, this was never a decision made because it's the best school for you, right? right? Don't get me wrong, Harvard's an amazing school, but clearly it wasn't for Rory, and you just picked it because it was the opposite of Yale. So I have some feelings on that. Okay. As we, you know, do on this podcast, we have a lot of feelings, much like, you know, that iconic... Um, meme from Mean Girls with, of the girl saying, I just have a lot of feelings. She really did, and I really do when I'm PMSing, too. She, was PMSing. <laughs> she for sure was. But I just have to say that much like um, the episode we talked about in season two uh, where um, Lorelai breaks things off with Max and she and Rory hit the road and they have that whole blowout in the hotel room and they're arguing and getting then making up and this whole back and forth, this whole repartee that they have together. And I said, I said back then when we discussed that episode, that that's more or less the the hook of Gilmore Girls, in that you these characters are flawed and not perfect, but they're still somehow um, that's like that's what makes them relatable. Yeah. More or less. I'm pretty sure I said things much nicer in that episode, but all I'm that eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> All of that to say, um, this episode I think is one of one of, if not my favorite episode of season three, just because, um, like, Rory, like I'm gonna say, Rory pisses me off in this episode, but no more than she does in other episodes, because in this episode she's trying to make a decision, and it's hard to make a decision when literally everyone around you, your mother, and everyone in your small town is like, oh, it's gonna be Harvard. You, we all know it, like. It's yeah. it's toxic in a very specific way because when you grow up constantly being told you're perfect, you're great, you're you're always gonna be great, you're always gonna like do well, nothing is ever hard for you. Mm-hmm. Like that itself is a very toxic uh cycle to break. And I've and I've kind of had a similar experience myself, not saying that I'm I've ever been perfect, but like I was always kind of raised under this um attitude that like oh well Jeffrey's just smart and Jeffrey's always does well and not not even from my parents but mostly from my my relatives on my dad's side and my grandmother like it was just always that like Jeffrey was the best and like I 
enjoyed the attention. I'm not going to lie. But at the end of the day, it was very stressful when like, you know, I remember in grade nine, like I failed math class and it was, I've just never been good at math. And in retrospect, it was a very small thing. It didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But at the time it was like detrimental. Yeah. I'd never, like I'd never experienced anything like that. And it's like, well, in my head, I started to think like, well, I don't do this. This is not my thing. Mm-hmm. And then like, as I, and then as I got older and like, you know, became a, a legal adult, it just got harder because I felt like I had this like moral responsibility and obligation to always be perfect and to always do the right thing. And so I think Rory, I think Rory is at like the for the first instance we get of her in this episode is like she's trying to make this decision and it's so hard, but we don't even see how hard it is until later. And I just like I just like this episode because we get a glimpse of that for the first time. No, I, I agree with you. Um, but I, I would like to add that, you know, nobody would be um, I think the town, so we see in this instance, Luke and Miss Patty saying, we all know it's going to be Harvard. Um, you know, the town wouldn't react like that if they hadn't been pushing it for so long either. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was Lorelai and Rory that put that idea in the town's head. They're the ones. Oh, that for are- sure. Lorelai is definitely the, like the ring, the ringleader of that toxic cycle. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So Kirk starts selling these shirts in this episode. Babette ate oatmeal. Didn't you hear? Yeah, so first of all, breaking news, amazing news to break. Um, but I wanna I was I was like Stars Hollow is such a quirky place in general. You'd think you would have found something more um titillating to write on a shirt than Babette ate oatmeal. How about a film by Kirk? <laughs> oh god, best t shirt ever. I would wear the shit out of that. It's, but I think it's it's like having seen this episode so many times as we have and how, you know, ev- like the fact that, that this episode has been around for almost 20 years now, it's it's just like, how shall I say, um, classic Startalo quirk, quirkiness. Yeah, but I mean, the fucking post-society was in town. <laughs> That's what I mean. This episode in general, I think is just, it means a lot to me because there's, so much going on, and we and I think we've pinpointed a couple of times throughout um, each season we've discussed so far. There's pivotal moments in each season where it's like this is what the show is about. Yeah, and I think this is one of those episodes because it's like the Edgar Allan Poe Society. Like, what on earth is that? And of course, they're in Stars Hollow. Okay, so I did research. Of course, she did. Of course, I did. Library. Read it to us. Yeah. So the International Edgar Allan Poe Festival and Awards, because there's Mm -hmm. awards, this year are on October 3rd and 4th. Interesting. It is is a virtual event this year, obviously, because this year is trash. Um, But basically, it's the Edgar Allan Poe Society of Baltimore. And um, that's really what they do. They have readers. They have um, professors, speakers. They have vendors who make Poe-related stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a whole weekend thing. I mean, I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's a fun event. I think it's more or less the fact that there it exists at all. It's almost like it, it makes sense that it exists because I'm sure there's people who enjoy it. But at the same time, it's still puzzling to me, I think, in some way. Yeah, but, you know, I just, oh, God. You know when they're listening to the Raven, the recital, and they're like, oh, my God, he has, like, five nevermores to go? I'm sorry. Have you ever read that poem? Like, yeah, of course. Outside of, okay, because 
the fun I think another reason why I love this episode so much is because um the year that I watched Gilmore Girls the first time was was like my first year of CJEP and um I had to take a mandatory poetry class and from what I can remember everybody else who I knew in my program was like dreading this poetry class like everyone hated poetry and you could tell how inexperienced we were we were with literature because everyone hated poetry and like poetry is like just a part of literature right but I think so, care I think people it's not that they hate it it's that when you're reading poetry that's like mandatory reading and you you're forced to kind of find the hidden meaning and not just sit with it mm-hmm. it becomes a problem <laughs> and like I totally I, I totally agree with that because the the, po- the poetry class that I was in in particular was just no like no because (laughs) like there was two in my program that year there was two poetry classes and of course the good teacher I didn't have I had the the shitty teacher who was just first of all he actually we we watched to just just to put it into perspective in that class we watched um the movie that James Franco made about Allen Ginsberg and Howell oh boy okay which, um, you know, hasn't aged very well in regards to uh, James Franco's sexual misconduct allegations. Which we don't talk about enough, by the way. No, we don't. He, I think his kind of fell through the cracks. But in, in any case, like, he, before we were watching this movie in class, he made this whole speech about how there might be some graphic sexual elements. And there was the only thing was two men lying in bed. Okay, translation, homophobic. Oh anyway. So he assigned a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe and I personally enjoyed kind of, like you said, finding the hidden meanings or like pulling it apart and analyzing it. But the Raven in particular was like my Mount Everest. I could not figure it out. And I was like at that point in my academic journey, I was trying way too hard with everything. So I was like trying way too hard to figure out the hidden meanings of the Raven. It's like maybe it's just about a fucking Raven. Like, no, you know. Yeah. So, so Jeffrey. <laughs> around the time that I watched this episode for the very first time, I had just handed in an essay about the Raven, which mm-hmm. I only got a seventy on at the time, which was devastating because oh my god, a seventy. Um, because I had no idea how to analyze it. I was like just stumped. So, in, in conclusion, but also, the Raven by Ground Poe is a big no from me. Um, I've always liked, um, what's the poem that he wrote about, well, yeah, I was just about to say what her name is, and that's what the fucking poem is called, Annabelle Lee. Yeah. <laughs> I always liked that. And I also liked, fun fact, um, Stevie Nicks made a song about, well, the song is called Wide Sargasso Sea. Yes. And it's basically like the prequel, I guess, to whatever. Anyways, it's a very good song, and it's a very good poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, not my cup of tea. <laughs> no. And like there, like you said, Edgar Allan Poe does have a, f- uh, a few good poems. The Raven is not one of them. Yeah. Mm, we're going to get in trouble. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, Jess is employee of the month. He is. And we find out that he's employee of the month only because he's been working full time at Walmart. And Luke has no idea. Luke has zero clue. Which is ridiculous and sad. Uh, yes. Um, so yes, on the one hand, very ridiculous and sad because you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be this person's guardian, right? Yeah. 
Um, and he's still a child. He's not an adult. No, he's not an adult yet. But also, um, are we surprised? Luke's oblivious. It's not surprising whatsoever. I think it's just in this episode, it, it's all coming to it. Not not yet coming to a head, but it's starting to bubble under the yeah. surface. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. But it it kind of makes me wonder, what the fuck is Jess saving up for? See, I think I thought we we're going to wait until the end of the episode to get into this. But since we're already there. No, we're here. I Let's sh- do it. I shall, I shall say, I feel really bad for Jess at this point. Because obviously we know what's what's ahead, having seen the show before. Spoilies! Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel bad for him just because I don't think he's saving for anything but life in, in general. Because... I think he had had such a shitty upbringing that he didn't really feel he was worth anything beyond just making money and living. So I think he was kind of throwing himself into this, you know, working class job because um, not anything, not that there's anything wrong with working at Walmart, by the way, but throwing himself into this job because he didn't like, he obviously didn't feel he was going to graduate school. Like, Later, he's surprised when the when the principal confronts him. But I think in the back of his mind, he knew that like working like this was all he was worth. And I think that's what makes me sad the most because even when Rory confronts him later, when he comes to the window at um, Lane's house, just the way that he's kind of brushing it off, like you can tell he's he's kind of putting on a brave face. I think beneath that that mask, he's kind of worried about himself. Yeah. So I think um, I agree with what you said. Um, so when, when Lorelai, not confronts Rory, but when Lorelai goes to talk to Rory about, um, is he still going to school and whatnot, she says, oh, he's saving up for a car, blah, blah, blah. And then it got me thinking, like, we don't, because of the unfortunate events that lead to him leaving town, we don't really get to see how their relationship progresses past, um, past anything superficial, I guess I should say. Um... So for me, it was always interesting when we see this to see what would have happened um, if they were... So if Rory went to college and Jess, what, would he have stayed in Stars Hollow? Would he have kept working at Walmart? Would he have gone with her to New Haven and kept working while she went to school? Like, I think we were kind of... Not robbed. I'm not going to say robbed because that's harsh. Um... (laughs) But I mean, to me, it always gets me thinking about what was the plan? And I do agree with what you're saying. I think it goes back to that scene. Remember when they're going for ice cream when Rory's tutoring him Mm -hmm. and she's telling him, you're so smart. You can do so much. Uh, You can go to college. And he's like, no, I'm not going to college. Like, yeah, I think it's it's true what you're saying. Like he never sees himself as somebody who can accomplish these things, even though he's so smart. Because he didn't, he he had a shitty support system his whole life. Yeah. His mother were led to believe we haven't met her yet, but we're led to believe his mother didn't really care. As soon as things got tough, she shipped him to his uncles, um, in this town where he again, doesn't have a support system. And the only person that really believes in him is Rory. And, you know, it, I think it's one of those situations where college was just never in the cards for him mm-hmm. because of his upbringing. 
Yeah. And so no matter how much Rory loves him and tells him, no, you can do such great things and don't listen to people. It's just not, he still doesn't believe it. So that I agree with you when you say you feel bad for Jess, cause I am kind of heartbroken for him um, at the scene in the window, like you said, where he's just like, don't worry about it. I'm going enough, whatever. I don't think he really thinks he's going to flunk out of high school, but I, I do think like the plan stops there. He doesn't know what's going to happen afterwards, you know? Yeah. And then we see it again later when he, when he returns in season four, as we've said before, he's not in a very good place at that time. And I think we see the consequences of it then, but I would, I would have liked to entertain the idea of some kind of alternate reality episode where we would have seen what would happen if Jess hadn't have abruptly left as he yeah. did. Yeah. Um, yeah, because in my mind, I'm always like, uh, and more so yesterday when I saw the episode uh, for the purposes of analysis, you're like, well, I wonder what would have happened, you know? Um, we see, this is next week's episode, but we see, like, he's very supportive of Rory when she makes her decision to go to Yale. He says it's only two, 22 miles away. So you, you're thinking in the back of his head, this is, you know, this is going to stick, this relationship, obviously. Um, he doesn't want to end it, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, I get it when you're saying it's kind of sad. It is sad um, that he thinks he's not worth it. And that comes back to this insecurity that we've always talked about in relation to Jess, where it must be really shitty to have everyone see the worst in you. Mm-hmm. Even if you do have that one person who really encourages you and loves you and says she'll help you through no matter what, it it sucks. <laughs> and I think it's, import- it's also important to point out that Luke did support him but it was always conditional like you can live here as long as you do this and this as you have to you have to graduate you have to like it just because Jess was already fragile as we now know I think um that the, the the love and support that Luke gave him was not necessarily what he needed but I think that points more to Luke's upbringing than anything you know it's just like again one one other toxic system that is the family yeah well Um, that's true. But what I'm saying is, I think it would make sense that Luke is like, well, you have to graduate high school and you have to not get into trouble because probably, you know, when he was younger, he knew he was going to take over the shop, mm-hmm. but then his dad died. So he turned it into a diner. But, you know, like he has an idea of what it means to be, I mean, successful in your own way. Right. I thought you were going to say be a man. I mean, like, gender roles. Well, that too. I mean, I wasn't going to go there. But, I mean, we can. We can. Um, for but, sure. I think for sure that that's a concern on Luke's part of, like, this is what a, this is what it, it takes to be a man. I think I yeah. think, I think in, in every man of a certain age, that's how they were raised. So we can't really fault them for that. No, but, I mean, I also think Luke in the back, and this is us speculating again, but I also think Luke in the back of his mind is, like, um... You know, his sister skipped town when she graduated. His mm-hmm. father left, um, Jess's father left him kind of thing. All he wants, like, graduating school is the least you can do kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's sad all around. And we've said it before. It's not really Luke's fault. Um, he He got dumped with a 16-year-old and he didn't really know what to do. I yeah. think when you raise a child from birth, um, it comes a little bit more naturally, mm-hmm. but you know, it was an all around shitty situation. And I do feel bad for Jess. Um, I don't like the aftermath of how he handles everything, but we're not there yet. 
no, I don't like that either. And we're also not we're also not there yet. But um, I also don't like the way that Liz doesn't take any responsibility for how he turned out or how or the, the state that his life is in in season four. That always bothers me and always will. Yeah. Um, we won't get into that too much because it is it's it's coming uh, next season. But I mean. Please. Spoilies. But um, it's interesting that we mentioned Liz now but because we did talk about Liz with Samantha a little bit. And she said that, in her opinion, um, Liz was one of the only, well, her and Anna were one of the only female characters that were a little bit more complex and had room to grow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, because we see Liz when she's in a really good place, right? She's met this great guy and they're getting married and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have feelings about her from before. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's there's definitely complexity there, uh, layers that we have to peel back when it comes to Liz. <laughs> so we have two uh, more topics left to discuss for this episode, uh, one of which is Paris and her, uh, the, the, the effects of her meltdown staying in bed. Yeah. And, of course, the inn burning down. Yeah. I would argue that there's something else we should talk about. Ooh, what is it? So I want to talk about how um, the show in this episode tries to make women out to be jealous bitches. Um, I would agree, but go on. You know what I'm referring to? I think so, but tell me. Okay, so we see in, um, again, with this fucking recital of the Raven, um, when they're waiting for the Nevermores to end, Mm -hmm. Rory makes eye contact with Lindsay, and Lindsay kind of stares her down. And then Lorla's like, oh, you know, icy. (laughs) And then Nicole is there with Luke, and same thing. She's not smiling. She's not whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're both giving, the new girlfriends are both giving, well, not the old girlfriends, because Lorelai was never a girlfriend, but they're giving the women a hard time. They're giving them the cold shoulder. The side eye. The side eye, yes. Very good. Um, You know, because women are always jealous, right? Yeah, and like, this this also touches on a central issue we've come up, we've come up with on Gilmore Girls several times throughout this podcast, Mm -hmm. which is more or less... That Gilmore Girls makes likes to make use of a lot of tired tropes and cliches regarding sexuality, especially women. And we got into that with Samantha, like you said. Yeah. And I think I think just in general, it's it's like this is from the 2000s and that doesn't feel like that long ago. And it wasn't in comparison to other shows. But I think now in our in our current era, we're just more, we're just more aware and like as us, you know, we, this this was on when we were younger and other people, other fans watched this when they were younger and are now continuing to watch it as they grow up. And I think we just pick up on things like this more because you realize now that it's not true to life that all women are jealous, for example, right. right? Yeah. I mean, we do get an explanation as to why um, why Nicole is kind of acting the way she does later on, right? Mm-hmm. It's because Lou tells Lorelai that on their first date, he was very nervous and she ordered coffee and Lou couldn't stop blabbing about Lorelai, which we both know is because he's in love with her. But, you know, they're not there yet. Um. But like, 
considering that, can you blame Nicole for being a little uncomfortable around Lorelai thereafter? Here's the thing. I don't blame her. But, I mean, I don't... I don't know any any woman that's been, like, that blatantly shady (laughs) towards somebody else. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. And this just comes back to the the age-old issue that we don't get enough character development from Nicole because we don't see her very much or for very long and most of it then most of the action later on takes place completely off screen yeah exactly um you know i think yeah maybe we would have a little bit more sympathy and maybe understand where she's coming from if we got to see a little bit of more of her and luke's relationship but mm-hmm. at this point i'm just like okay take it down or not nicole she asked you for a pen like yeah. you know and then um on the flip side of that with Lindsay, um we don't know why Lindsay is we don't know if Dean has done something to make Lindsay doubt her relationship with him but it's just like you know you know she's dating Jess and you're dating Dean like for all intents and purposes you've all moved on yeah so what the fuck (laughs) and I think I think I I think I I could be a little more forgiving with Lindsay than Nicole because Nicole's a grown-ass woman yeah I think so too Sure. Um, with Lindsay, I'm not going to say it's, you know, we know that doesn't get much uglier and messier later because we know that it does. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm thinking at this point, maybe Lindsay is already realizing that Dean is still in love with Rory and maybe she's worried that um, by being in close proximity with her all the time, that something might happen. And guess yeah. what? That comes true later. So maybe. Yeah, see, that's not. At this point in the game, it's not Rory's problem, right? No, it's not. I'm not. I'm not well, trying to make Rory out to be the. No, the... no, I, I know you're not. But what I'm saying is, I just want to like reiterate: if you're having doubts about your relationship because you think your significant other has feelings for somebody else, that's on you. That well, number one, it's on you, but it's also something you need to address with your partner. Yeah. Not like get mad at the other person who, for all you know, is oblivious because she's in a relationship with somebody else, right? And that, for sure, is just pitting women against women. But that's it. So it comes back to that again. Um, you know, once again, we said this when we, we spoke about Shane and Rory. <laughs> um, you know, Rory went after Shane when she didn't do anything wrong. Now Lindsay's kind of giving Rory a side eye because she has her doubts. But, like, throughout all of this, I want people to be mad at the right people. <laughs> I know. So that's what's frustrating to me a little bit, you know. But anyway. and that and that in itself is is the tired trope of just taking taking your your anger and your angst out on the wrong people. And exactly. I think Gilmore, I think Gilmore Girls makes copious use of that. Yeah, it's not it's not um, helpful in any way. You know, you're not going to get any resolution by you're taking not. out your anger on the wrong person because they have nothing to say to you. So do anyway. better, ladies. Do better, ladies. But. Again, it was really, um, I don't know. It was it was kind of nice to see the guys interacting with their girlfriends out of um, our imaginations, I guess. Because a yeah. lot of left unsaid. Yes, for sure. But, um, yeah, whatever. Let's just, let's move on. <laughs> Shall we talk about Paris and her, how she, I'm not even, I can't even find the right word. Paris and her... Dealing with Paris and her dealing with her issues. Okay, so I would argue that it's not dealing with your issues, it's avoidance. (laughs) Yes, Paris and her avoidance. There we go. But 
I will say I approve because I love to stay in bed. <laughs> yes, for sure. And can I make a request? Yeah. Um, seeing as how you usually make um, screen caps to post on our social media pages for each episode that we discuss. Sure. May I request that for this episode you make one of, Par- of Rory asking Paris, so the only people in your life right now work at General Hospital? And Paris says, in my favorite line of the episode, this isn't General Hospital. I don't deserve General Hospital. Oh, well, uh, request denied. Oh, come on. I'm kidding. Relax. <laughs> I'm joking. I love how she's just relegated herself to watching daytime soaps. And then Roy's like, uh, what is this, General Hospital? She's like, uh, no, I don't even deserve General Hospital. Yeah, the whole thing is just... So I, I have to say, the whole thing is very comical. Um, but also, for me... So it's it's two things. It's, it's funny in a way that, um, you know, the writing is great and the lines are great. But it's also sad for two reasons. So one, it's because I think it's very off-brand for Paris. For sure. Because when has Paris ever backed down from something? I think, and I and we obviously know that she doesn't she doesn't admit defeat fully. But I think exactly. this is the beginning of the end of Paris's tightly wound uh, personality, shall we yeah. say? Like not not in terms of later on in college, but in terms of tightly being tightly wound in high school and being obsessed with Harvard and success in that regard. Like this is, this is like the bubble has burst. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It's not to say that she's not entitled to feel this way because something really embarrassing did happen to her. And for, you know, for her whole life, she had this one goal and she's not able to fulfill it. So don't get me wrong. It's not to say that she shouldn't be feeling the way she's feeling. But for me, it's just a little bit sad to see her hold up in bed when like, okay, mope for the weekend and let's go, girl. <laughs> yeah, so I, I see it. I see both sides of that. Like, obviously, like obviously, there's there's time to feel sorry for yourself and just you know to mope and to feel your feelings. And then on the flip side, we all know that eventually you have to just wipe it off and put on a fresh face of makeup and uh, tackle the day, kind of thing. Yeah, and the other reason it's sad for me is because the blandness and coldness of her bedroom. <laughs> is just so like her bedroom in general is very like rigid and very like rich person cookie cutter and i'm like you you get the imp- like Rory's bedroom is warm she has her books she has her posters she has her like little chicken clucking you know what i mean and honestly paris's bedroom reminds me of like lane's room minus all of her hidden things yeah but like it's so um First of all, it's geriatric, the furniture, so harsh. <laughs> That's the perfect adjective. Paris's bedroom is geriatric. Like, what the fuck? And so that makes me sad because you're like, she didn't have time to care about things like her bedroom. Exactly. Because the only personal thing in her bedroom is when they show Rory from the other side, you see her bulletin board with her Harvard stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was her focus, right? And to hell with the rest of the room. Yeah. But I'm like, that makes me even more sad because I'm like, oh, you worked so hard and you didn't get it. And like, you, I don't know. It's just really sad for me. That's why I always say nobody deserved to go to Harvard more than Paris Geller. And that's why it's just, it's sad. It's sad and it's realistic because we all, I think we all know that life doesn't always work out like that, but it doesn't make it any less shitty. Like it's still, it's still shitty. (laughs) There's no other word. It's just shitty. 
for sure. It's, de- it's definitely shitty, but we do get some insight into why she didn't get into Harvard, right? Yes, confirmed. Paris came on too strong during our Harvard interview. We had contemplated that last week why she didn't get in. I actually forgot that. I also forgot, yeah. That she shows Rory her, her tape recording of her interview, and I'm like, mm, okay, I think I get it now. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely too much. <laughs> Um, and if you don't know how intense she could be, so like I'm thinking this kind of stuff works with Headmaster Charleston because he's known her for so long kind of thing. But if you're just meeting an interviewer for an Ivy League school for the first time and you're coming off that strong, talking about population control. (laughs) Yeah, we get some insight into why she didn't get into Harvard. But honestly, I wouldn't expect anything less of her. So at the end of the day, I think she gave it her all. I get it. I get it completely. And we all know that Paris goes on to do great things. So I'm not worried about Paris. But I am a little sad about her bedroom. Um, so I, but I do think that at the end of all of that, Paris, you do deserve General Hospital. You can watch it if you want. It's okay. true, Paris. <laughs> for the stars, Paris. Um, let's talk about the inn now. Which is just like the... The cherry on top of the the what do you put a cherry on top of? I'm forget, I'm drawing Sunday, a blank. Now. A damn it, a Sunday. <laughs> a Sunday. There you go. So that's just you know the straw that breaks the camel's back in every regard. Like just I think it's just the sprinkle of confirming that it's a season of change for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's definitely giving you end of season vibes, right? This big yeah. thing. And we have to deal with the aftermath now. Um, so the inn has a fire and they have to get all the pose out of there. Um, and I just love the way the whole town kind of rallies around Lorelai and the inn and their community. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find the scene with Babette and Miss Patty with Michelle hilarious. Honestly, it's very infuriating for me because imagine trying to like put out a literal fire and he's not putting that that's like i left computers i just don't know how to work them hey what does this f12 key do like i will literally punch you take a big step back yeah for sure but it's still funny it is anyways um so lorelei lorelei opens her home the kims open their home uh miss patty babette everybody everybody's being really accommodating We've got cots. Oh boy, we've got cots. Yeah, that was fucking weird. Who's got that many cots? I don't understand. I don't know. Babette is a is a bit of a mystery. I have to admit. I mean, she does eat oatmeal, so. (laughs) Um. Anyways, so it leads to Rory. uh, No, sorry, not Rory. It leads to Lorelai having to spend the night at Luke's. Yes. Because she's homeless. (laughs) Bedless, I guess, at this point. And um, she tells him about the dream that she had. Which is like a, an interesting um, topic to bring up when you have, when Luke just admitted that Lorelai is a bit of a, is a bone of contention in his, in his current relationship. Yeah, but that to me is very on brand for Lorelai. Of course. Be- like, because- I wouldn't expect anything less. Well, that's the thing. So we talked before about how she kind of likes the attention and she likes to have people waiting in the wings for her. And she's she's done it with Christopher and uh, she just kissed Max. Like, that happened last episode, everybody. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think Luke telling her that um, Nicole thinks 
he has feelings for her or at least, well, subtly telling her that, right? Um, I think that makes her feel all warm and fuzzy. Yeah. And then she tells him about that dream, the one where he kisses her stomach because they're married and having twins. And he's got a smile on her face and she's got a smile out of her face. So I think as a viewer watching this for the first time, maybe you would start to get impatient. (laughs) You think? And wonder if, um, because it's like the end of the season, closing in on the season, maybe you're like, oh, maybe something's going to happen before the season ends, you know? Alas, that does not happen. But alas, no. Yeah, but I think... um, that was like watching that is is frustrating because you know how long it takes, but it's also like oh maybe we're inching forward just a little bit. Honestly, if I can recall the first time I was watching Gilmore Girls, like I the way that the like obviously there was foreshadowing that Luke and Lorelai liked each other. Like hello, you have to you know be headless to not interpret that. But to me, I remember as a first time viewer, I was like kind of indifferent to it because you could tell that anytime it they inched forward towards it it was like something would ultimately drive them apart again so i think what actually did happen at the end of season four i was like okay wait for real though or no like are we yeah. uh, hello are we there no you know like it was they'd like they jerk you around so much and by the time it actually happens you're like in disbelief yeah um yeah because you've been yeah jerked around for so long <laughs> Um, is there anything else in this episode that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Um, well, we already talked about, about the post society, but I do have to kind of admit the post, the, the people in the post society in this episode are kind of bitchy, if I may say, because in the beginning when Lorelai is trying to like be friendly with them and kind of speak their language, so to speak. Yeah. That couple's like, well, it's just a hobby. And okay. I'm sorry if someone if someone like was trying to talk to me like that was something that they know I like I wouldn't be like uh yeah so it's a hobby like that's kind of rude yeah you would at least appreciate the effort they put into it for sure and second that's kind of ironic because at the end of the episode um they give her a stuffed raven and yet oh it's just a hobby yeah well that's um that's a whole other wackadoo thing so get your shit together, post society. <laughs> if you're listening, um, I the the last thing I wanted to talk about was the big decision that is made. Ah uh, yes. So um, Lorelai comes to the conclusion that Rory is not destined for Harvard, Mm-mm. and instead she is destined to go to Yale because it has the most pros. Uh, on their pro-com list. Which is kind of just immature and hypocritical because you cannot tell me that um, in Rory's mind, at least in some, like in some regard and some little portion in Rory's brain that she didn't think of Yale because her grandfather went there. Like we know at this point that Rory loves and admires her grandfather. So you cannot tell me that that did not inform her and that that did not inform her decision in like in 1% maybe. No, but I mean, I don't think, sorry, (laughs) I had a spill. Um, We're going to move past that. I don't think that she, like, I don't think she put that on the pro-com list, though. 
No, but I'm saying that like Lorelai is just a bit hypocritical because she's fine with Rory going to Yale as long as it's her decision. And like, yes, it's her decision, but then she it's just it's just bothersome because you know that if Rory were to hypothetically say like, oh well yeah, and I'd like to go there because grandpa went there and you know he could show me around, then all of a sudden she would flip and be like, Well, no, they they put ideas into your head. You know, it's just annoying. Okay. <laughs> I don't I'm, and I'm that. trying, I'm tr- and I'm probably forcing meaning here, but like, I just, it's, it's just annoying how Lorelai can flip flop so easily when her parents get involved. And obviously, um, Emily and Richard are not in this episode. Yeah. But we do know that this becomes an issue later on. So. No, I get it, but I think in this instance, so that's interesting because I actually had the opposite reaction in this instance. Okay. I. Um, and not that I don't understand what you're saying, because I do, but I was thinking that. I thought it was really cool of her to say, like, let's make pro-con lists for all of these colleges, including Yale, even though I don't want you to go there. Yeah. Um, she was open about offering pros for the Yale column. She was she was the one who told Rory, you know, it's going to be Yale. Like, it has the most pros. Um, don't overthink it. Sometimes things change. So I thought it was really nice of her well, not nice, but I mean, I thought it was really cool of her that she she wasn't afraid to change her mind, even though you know she knows that Emily was going to be like, I told you so, you know? Okay, yeah. If we, I would agree with that if we ignore everything that came before and everything that comes after and just focused on Lorelai's attitude in this episode. I think she's everything a mother should be. Like, that's the one. Like, go with your gut. I think yeah. definitely she's taking the right attitude in this instance, but I think it's just difficult for me to ignore everything that came before and everything that comes after because you know that Lorelai just like flips out later and for good reason too but like it's just just a bit hypocritical for me yeah I get that but I think in this instance like going out and getting all the Yale stuff because she could tell that Rory was like yeah but we haven't made our full decision yet because I think Rory in that instance was also very like oh my god it's been Harvard for so long and what if I change my mind and she was worried about her mother too you know you you kind of have to think that maybe She's seen Lorelai freak out enough about Yale that she's like, oh, fuck, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. In my head, it's more like, uh, it's nice of her to put aside her shit, at least in this one episode, to say, this is the right decision for you. Don't be scared to make it. And here, let me help you along the way. Yeah, I like that, too. Okay. So, we do agree. Um <laughs> Yes, I'm saying I agree with that. And if we, if we only focus on this episode and ignore everything else, but in general, if we look in, if we consider the timeline of the whole show, it's it does bother me a little. Got it. I get it. I get it. Don't worry. Um. Okay. Is there anything else you want to say? Um. Not really. Do you want to update them on on our bracket? Yes. So the first round of our bracket is over. <gasps> oh no! I'm sad. No, because we have like four more rounds. It's really- <laughs> <laughs> that was totally fake. Did it sound real? <laughs> no, it didn't. Okay. Um, but, you know. <laughs> so the first round is over. We've made some tough decisions. Um, but it's time to move on, everyone. So should what's give the them- first? Yes. A round of applause. No, we're not giving them a round of applause. I said, should we give them something, another fucking episode, a round of applause? <laughs> what I think you're going to say. <laughs> a round of applause. Oh, boy. My okay. goodness. 
You're so yes, funny. I was gonna say, please give them more episodes to uh, uh, fight a round over. Round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, should we start off with? Oh my God, I don't want to pick on too hard for the first round. But you will anyway. We know. We all know you. Probably. You know me. Um. Okay. Ready? Yes. And you're gonna do one, two, three, and you're gonna say it. Okay. Rory's birthday parties. One o six or two twenty one. Lorelai's graduation. One two. One o six. Okay. <laughs> That's not really hard. I know. I said I'm not gonna give them a hard one. Okay. Here I was thinking this is gonna be the hard one, and it's not. But no, no, no. we're gonna ease them into it. Don't worry okay. about it. Okay. Um, yeah, so we'll post it um, soon to coincide with this episode. And so, and we'll post the first round, the results of the first round, so you can see where we stand. Yes, please do. Oh my goodness. We'll do that. I have to make a note because my, I have the fucking memory of a jellyfish. <laughs> um, so where can they follow us? You know, seeing as how you have the memory of a jellyfish, where can they follow us? So now you want to laugh at me that I don't know our own social media handles? I do. Please tell them. You're very rude. You know that, right? <laughs> because we went over this with Samantha and she kind of laughed at me. Rightfully so. Get out of here. Okay, we're going to attempt this. Are you ready? They can follow us on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast and Twitter at Gilmore Podcast. Look at you go. How hard was that? Yes. I got it. Little shit. And where can they email us? Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> Gilmore Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, concerns, love letters, etc. We're open to everything. Except no Dixie Chivel Dixie Chivel. What what is that? No <laughs> Dixie Chick level hatred or hate speech, please. What do you think is funnier? Dixie Chevel or when you said California stanchion last episode? <laughs> Honestly, I'm gonna have to go with California expansion. I don't even know, don't even know what I was thinking with that. <laughs> oh, I was like, when, as soon as you said it, I was like, we have to make this the title of the episode. <laughs> oh Lord! And what's this episode gonna be called? A round of applause slash Dixie Chivel. <laughs> gonna be called Dixie Chivel, yeah. Oh dear, not even a word. But apropos for us, it's Portmanteau. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, so that's it for us. Be sure to check out the interview that we did with Samantha, Samantha Grindel. See, it's and contagious. I spread it around. I know. We have to end it. When we start doing this shit, we have to end it. Um, be safe. We'll see you soon. Yes, thank you for listening. Bye.